from no matter what, okay? Right, now we've got 23 at least, so that's a great number. And thank you very much for coming. But it's not about satisfying my ego, but it's about learning, right? Okay. Uh, well, uh, I got a lot of messages yesterday which said, well, we don't know what to do with the essay, right? Yeah, now the essay, first of all, when we learn literature, it's not about summaries, right? And as I said yesterday, when we talk about, somebody asked me in an old live class, I think it was last year or the year before that, right? Somebody asked me about a summary of St. John and I gave her a two-line summary. St. John was a heretic and she was born at the stake, right? Now, uh, that's all we do in a summary and that's as bad as a summary can get. And literature is not about summaries, right? Yeah, if you think that it's a summary, then it's no use of doing a, a literature thing. You can do it, you can do science, you can do commerce, you can do anything else, right? Where they summarize things and tell you that this is what is said, right? Because literature is something that is not uh, no, uh, denotative, right? Yeah? Uh, is supposed to be connotative, right? So do you understand that? So when you talk about denotative, that is A is A, right? In literature, A is not A, A is Z, or A is M, or A is N, right? And you have to make all those connections, right? Of course, the bad thing that we have in the syllabus is that we've got some uh, science people giving us stuff. But that itself is not very bad, right? Because when we talk about C.V. Raman and we talk about Abdul Kalam, they've given us symbols, they've given us metaphors, they've talked about things that are transcendental and all these things are interesting and important, right? Yeah. Okay, I think, so one is, please remember that we can't summarize literature. You can't summarize a novel, right? And if you think you can, Read Sound of the Fury. How do you summarize it? Right? Or read Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse. Right? Which are written in a very simple kind of English. But many people can't get anything. Right? Yeah, the sentences are simple and it's easy to read. Right? But unless you get into the literary mode, you won't be able to read it. And you can't summarize it. Right? Yeah, and To the Lighthouse. In fact, an English teacher once was telling me, that they reach the lighthouse, right? I said, well, that's sad and sorry because they don't reach the lighthouse at all, right? Okay, and it's to the lighthouse, right? And when they try to reach the lighthouse, the, the waves are taking them away, right? Yeah, so all those kind of things are important, right? And nothing happens in the novel. What do you do with a novel which nothing happens? What kind of a summary can you give? Yeah, and you can't summarize novels. You can't... This is a prose thing, right? So it might be a little easier to summarize it, right? For some people, right? Yeah, but we are not looking at that when we are talking about prose. It's not a summary of the essay that we are doing, right? And please do not write summaries in the exams. I'm doing this for you because our wonderful university is giving you something called uh, an MCQ, right? Which is an insult to me as an arts teacher and you as an arts student, right? Yeah, so please remember that. Okay, because in the arts we are not talking about summaries and when we talk about literature we are not talking about summaries.
right? If we had to talk about summaries, then we would write a science essay. What is the difference uh, about science and the arts, right? So uh, that is something that I think has to be stressed again and again, right? Like for instance, uh, when I was teaching uh, in North Gujarat, there was a person who actually told me, he said, well, you know something? I know the story of Hamlet. I said, what? What is the story of Hamlet, right? Yeah, the story of Hamlet is that his father is killed. When he comes for his father's funeral, his mother is getting married, okay, to the same suspect who had killed his father, right? Yeah, okay, so that's the story. And then there's a ghost in and the ghost keeps dancing around the place. And that's the story of Hamlet. But otherwise, what do you have in the story? Right? And it's very sad when people think that literature is about stories. Right? So it's not about a story. One. And the idea is, you're looking at the structure. Right? So when you're studying a play, we're talking about how is a play structure. Right? And when we talk about modern drama, like waiting for Godo, nobody comes, nobody goes, right? You can't even find out what's the difference between the, the beginning of the scene and the end of the scene, right? When you take the first act and the second act, the, the, there's only one bit of difference. That's the same tree, right? Which was a dead tree in act one becomes a tree with two leaves in act two, right? So then what kind of summary are you going to have? I don't know. I can't understand how you're going to summarize a play, right, where nothing happens, right? It begins with nothing to be done and nothing happens. Nobody comes, nobody goes. That's an actual line of the, uh, of the play, right? They just do characters and X and Y can hardly be differentiated, right? Okay, you read the play again and again to see what's the difference between Radhami and Esther, right? Pose are lucky, yeah, they stand up. But the boy one and the boy two can be the same boy, right? He hardly says anything, right? Yeah, okay. So uh, please do not think that we are talking about summaries. And unless you read the text again and again and try to analyze it, right? What is he trying to say? What is the structure? How has he introduced the topic, right? What is in the contents, okay? And what is in the, in the conclusion and how does he conclude? Is, he a, is it inconclusive, right? Yeah? Okay, so you begin to wonder, is it concluded or is it not concluded, right? Now, when you have, uh, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Stephen Beacock, right? You have over here, at the end of it, he's saying that I never go to the bank and he's giving you a conclusion to that. But that's just one episode, right? Yeah? And what happens first and what happens second? Uh, that is important for that little piece, right? Yeah, but otherwise, it's an essay. It's talking about what are the moods, what are the emotions, right? What are the colors of the face, right? Okay, how does he come to know this? Or how does he come to know that, right? Yeah, so that's in more important than the idea of give us a summary of the play or a summary of the essay, right? Okay, so what I'm going to do today is we're just putting all those things together, right? So first of all, we have talked about letters and we are talking about the, uh, the prose pieces that we have done, right? And what is important is you are, your task is compared to letters, right? Okay, or two prose pieces and see how they are similar and how they are different.
Is that okay? Right? That's all that you do. Now you have the structure which might be the same. Right? Yeah? And you find that the this or this structure not cannot be the same, but it can be similar, right? So you talk about the similar structure, right? So does it what is there in the introduction? Every essay has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Sorry, I'm going back to Aristotle, and Aristotle uses this for drama, but that's how we use it for a essay. You have to have an introduction, you have to have a body, and you have to have a conclusion. Right? Your introduction is actually to say, well, this is what I'm going to say in the essay. Right? Yeah, or I started in a way that captures the tension of any audience that reads it. Right? Yeah. So what you have to do is keep looking at introductions and not only of what we're studying in the text, right? Look at all the letters, yeah, and look at the first paragraph, see how the introduction works. Right? Is it okay? Like Leacock, right? When I go to a bank, I get rattled, right? That's the first sentence. Yeah. Is it something like that? Let's look at the exact sentence. Where is my book? Yeah. Yeah. So you have. Let's look at the first paragraph of every one of the things that we've done, right? Yeah. So Leacock. When I go to the into a bank, I get rattled. That's the first sentence, right? The first sentence is very important because that sets the mood of the whole. Uh, essay, right? The clerks rattle me, the wicket rattles me, the sight of money rattles me, yeah, everything rattles me, right? Yeah, and that's how uh, he goes on, right? Everything rattles me. That's the first paragraph. Let's look at the first paragraph of uh, uh, what is the next one? Toasted English, right? In the American restaurants, they call for toasted English, right? Referring to English muffins, which though made in America, now retain English as a sort of concession to the origin, right? Now he's talking about muffins, which are some kind, it's very, they're a, a kind of uh, not so distant cousin of a cupcake, right? Yeah, uh, the same may be said of the language too. Americans too. Okay, now he's taking the idea of this muffin and is talking about the language, right? So you get, you can't summarize that, yeah, but you have to look at how he is giving you a connection between food and language. Do you get that? Right? So that's what you look at, and then it's quite a long paragraph as an introduction. Uh, Americans too went through a phase of throwing out the British but retaining their language and letting it flourish on American soil, right? Now, what is interesting is when you say Americans too went around, uh, went throwing a phrase, uh, a phase, through a phase of throwing out the British, right? Okay, so he's talking about the idea of American independence like many other places, including India, whether you know R.K. Narayan is Indian or non-Indian, that is not very important at this point of time, but uh, we are talking about if you are Caribbean, okay, or if you are Salinese, or if you are uh, a person from uh, one of the African countries which was colonized, right, 
or you're an Irish, right? You might like to look at that and say, well, these are other people who threw them out. But retaining their language, right? And all the colonized countries may have not retained the language, right? Yeah, and letting it flourish on American soil, right? In fact, I was talking to a person in Jordan, right? And he said that what happened to them is they actually, when they got independence, they actually moved uh, with such anger against the colonizers that they pulled off the rail tracks. First of all, it's sand. It must be very difficult to build rail tracks, but they actually pulled this off, right? That's what you get as an idea in Gandhi's Hinswaraj, right? So here, uh, yeah, and letting it flourish on American soil, the resultant language is somewhat different from its British counterpart, right? Now you get the idea of toasted, right? So when you're talking about toasted, right? Uh, it, uh, when you said toasted English, you're actually talking about a different kind of muffin, right? It's in uh, ways, it's just like the English, but it's different, yeah? Uh, and he's talking about English, uh, which is the language, right? It might be said to have gone through a process of toasting. Now, he's making it very clear. The metaphor is made clear, right? Yeah, so the idea is the language is toasted like you toast the muffin. Is that okay, right? It's not the same, it's similar, and the whole process changes it. You get that, right? Like for instance, when we talk about tea, we're talking about Indian tea, right? Okay, or you have the Bombay chai, okay? Which is uh, a mixture of tea and milk and sugar and all of it's boiled together, right? Yeah, so you call it Bombay chai, maybe it's the uh, same all over India, Right? But by and large, that's not the way tea is made. Right? So when we talk about tea, tea is actually boiling water and pouring the hot water or the boiling water onto tea leaves. Right? And then you drink it. Right? If you go to China, uh, they won't give you milk. They won't give you sugar. If you go to all the Indonesian countries or all these uh, places like Bangkok and Thailand and all those places, right? You'll get tea which without milk and without sugar. Right? And what is interesting is only in British colonies you get tea with sugar and milk and biscuits, right? So you might like to think about that. So when people offer you uh, uh, tea with biscuits and milk and sugar, of course, right? Then you begin to say, well, we are in a colonial country, right? Yeah. So, uh, so the process of toasting, okay, it's not only how uh, we are talking about things like Chinese noodles, right? Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, one of my nieces from the States came here and she came with a Chinese friend and we were just walking down uh, outside Kamati Bagh. We had all these things just outside here, right? Uh, now they moved up to the fine arts and there's one stall which says Chinese Ching Chong, right? And she said, what? This doesn't make sense. Ching chong is not a word that we use at all. Hello. Ah. Huh. Uh, 
कमाटी बाग का सामने अमोल पाला मालूम है आपको प्रतापगंज में कहा कौन सा सोसाइटी वो मालूम नहीं है ये कमाटी बाग का सामने राइट एक गेस्ट हाउस है कमाटी बाग का सामने आ जाओ और एक छोटा रास्ता है स्टेशन जाने के लिए हाँ हाँ वो दूसरा वाला मत लेना ए वाला लेना वो दूसरा वाला रोजरी को जाता है ओके नो रोजरी वाला नहीं है ओके ओके हाँ ओके नहीं वो रोजरी वाला हाँ मैं अभी यहाँ कमाटी बाग को आना प्लीज और फिर देखो और नेक्स्ट टू होम साइंस राइट होम साइंस के पास ओके हाँ मालूम नहीं है मालूम नहीं ओके और रास्ता मत लेना बोला वही रास्ता लेता है हाँ मेन रोड पे आके और छोटा रास्ता लेना और पहला सोसाइटी है ओके और एक ग्राउंड फ्लोर में है हाँ जल्दी आना अमूल पाला का एकदम डायगनली ऑपोजिट राइट नहीं नहीं चालू नहीं रख सकते है मेरा लेक्चर चल रहा है ओके नाउ सॉरी फॉर द इंटरप्शन एंड आई एम गेटिंग सम कुरियर स्टफ राइट या नाउ ही इज टॉकिंग अबाउट द प्रोसेस ऑफ टोस्टिंग राइट सो यू बिगिन टू वंडर व्हाट इज दिस कॉल्ड टोस्टेड इंग्लिश दस टोस्टेड इंग्लिश एक्चुअली रिफर टू द मफिन राइट डू यू टोस्ट मफिन्स दीज आर क्वेश्चन दैट यू हैव राइट या and we're talking about the muffin being toasted and english going through a process and that is different from uh the english that you have in england right yeah and he's actually talking linguistic sense because all languages both grow through a process of change and we talked about the pidgin and the creole and uh, the cant and we talk about all those things and this kind of language can become a language on its own and somebody asked me about urdu do you remember that right so it might have been what you call a pidgin it might have been a creole that's a different stage of formation and that's what is talk, talking about as toasting right yeah and then you come to this idea of uh, the 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 pidgin and the creole and after that uh, it becomes a language on its own of its own and on its own because it's got no link to any other languages right so you might not even recognize it as a language uh, in some amount of time right but in when it comes to indian english when it comes to american english when it comes to australian english right you can recognize it as english and it hasn't moved so far away that is unrecognizable right yeah so he's talking about the idea of the 
process of toasting right so it's actually talking about language being toasted like you put a toast a, a piece of bread on the fire right and that becomes toast in a process of time yeah just give me a second yeah Sorry about the disturbance again. I can't. Uh, we couldn't do anything. Right? Okay. Uh, so uh, when we are talking about the first paragraph of Leacock, and we're talking about this first paragraph, right? So he's got one more sentence. One noticeable result of this toasting is that much of the form formalism surrounding the use of English has been abandoned. Right? So he's saying. One of the effects of toasting is that the formality or the formalism, he's calling it formalism and he doesn't know what he's talking about because formalism is a kind of a particular movement in a language, right? So you have people like Jakobsen and the Prague School and these are called the formalists, right? And you also have that in sociology and you have that in psychology and you have that in all disciplines all around. But R.K. Narayan is a writer and he probably doesn't know all these things and maybe I don't know when he's written this essay, right? Yeah, because uh, formalism is a, a linguistic kind of movement about literature, right? Yeah, so you have, that's uh, beside the point. But uh, he's saying that uh, he's, when he's talking about formalism, it doesn't mean the subject. He's talking about formality, right? Yeah, so the, a writer may not have the... the uh, the kind of grip over the language, right? 
and what exactly the, he means by formalism is the idea that it's a formality. The formalities, so he's actually used a wrong word. I would say, well, if I had to tell him, I would say, well, Mr. R.K. Narayan, please look at your word and say, use formalism, no, formality, yes, right, yeah, okay, yeah, so he's actually talking about the formality, right, where you talk about sir and madam, and if you're American, you say, you call somebody by the first name, right, yeah, you'll see that all over the place, a lot of kids uh, call me by my first name, right, and I call them by their first name, if you are English, you'd call somebody as uh, Mr. So-and-so, and the person will respond by Mr. or Mrs., and all that kind of thing, right? I had a teacher from Edinburgh, and she used to constantly, she wanted me to call her Vidya, right? And uh, which I I did. But the funny thing is that she used to call me Mr. Babbitt. Yeah, so I, I, got, I got a little shaken up by that, right? So the idea is that's a very, very formal step, right? Yep, so you look at this first paragraph, look at the first paragraph of Leacock, right? And Leacock is actually showing you that you have this idea of toasted English, right? When he's saying, everything raffles me, everything raffles and that's quite informal, right? Yeah, and you don't understand what is rattle, right? The word rattle, right, is uh, used in a different kind of slangy way, right? And uh, unlike R.K. Narayan's really formal style of writing, yeah? So I think uh, the... You look at the first paragraph, and which is the other essay that we had? Uh, which one is it? Water, right? Yeah. Uh, humankind is always okay. Now you get uh, the very, very personal style of Leacock, right? You get this kind of a statement about American restaurants and the idea of American English in the first paragraph of R.K. Narayan, right? Then you get the universal kind of statement of a man, uh, yeah, my voice is breaking, I'm sorry, uh, okay, I'll come forward, right, I hope that's a little better, yeah, the person who put it up, are you getting me, is, uh, is my voice breaking, yeah, everybody else, if it is, just please let me know, because I don't have control over all these things, is it okay, the person who put up the message, can you hear me, Yes, sir. You are audible. Okay. I, so I have to come a little ahead. Yeah, fine. Okay. Now we're going to C.B. Raman's essay, right? And he says, Humankind has always searched in vain for an imaginary elixir of life. Right? The divine Amrita, a draft of which was thought to confer immortality. But, the, okay, now he's beginning in a universal style. Right? He's talking about all human beings, not like R.K. Narayan, certainly not like Leacock, and we look at uh, Abdul Kalam also, right? But the true elixir of life lies near our hands, right? So he's going on to human beings. He's also talking about India in one go when he's talking about the divine Amruta and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, and then he's talking about the Greeks and he's talking about the Europeans with a word called elixir, right? But the true elixir of life lies near our hand, for it is the commonest of all liquids, plain water, right? And he says, well, which is the elixir? 
it's a communist around, right? And it's plain water, right? So the style is different. He starts with a grand statement about humankind, right? He goes to the ancient Indian past, if you might imagine it to be, okay? Not perhaps not historically, but at least in imagination, we are talking about the divine Amrita and all those kind of things which we get in myths, etc. Right? Yeah, a draft of which was thought to confer immortality. Right? So he's talking about the idea of immortality and he begins as an Indian. R.K. Narayan doesn't give you an idea that he's an Indian. Right? Yeah, he could be anybody else. Stephen Leacock doesn't give you the idea that he is uh, Canadian. Right? You don't know where he's talking from. Right? But here he's telling you divine uh, Amrita. Right? Then he goes to the elixir of life, which is also telling you that he knows about uh, this kind of search of the medieval people for the elixir of life and for the philosophy, philosophical or philosopher's stone. Right? Yeah? So that's what he goes to. And then uh, he says this lies near for it is the commonest of all liquids. And then he gives you a shock. Plain water. What are you talking about? Elixir? Here is the commonest thing. It's plain water. And that's a kind of a, uh, a, a building up to a grand climax and immediately suddenly falling down. And that shock value says plain water. Right? I remember one day standing on the line which separates the Libyan desert from the valley of the Nile in Egypt. Right? Now he's telling you about himself. And he's talking about where he struggled, right? Yeah, so that's something else that you will like to look at, right? And he's talking about uh, the Lib uh, Libya and, and Egypt, etc. On one side was visible a sea of billowing sand without a speck of green on a single living tree, right? Where anywhere visible on it, right? On the other side lay one of the greatest, uh, most fertile and densely populated areas to be found anywhere in the earth, teeming with life and vegetation. What made this wonderful difference? Why? It was the water of the river Nile, right? So actually, he if I was writing this, if I were writing this, right? That's more correct, yeah? What I would do is, I would stop at plain water, right? I would divide the paragraph. I remember one, one day standing that would be my second paragraph, right? Yeah, and uh, then uh, uh, that would be enough for me, right? Yeah, because the first paragraph is giving you the shock of water and it leads you there. The second paragraph is talking about land and the desert, right? And how a desert is irrigated, okay, with water and right in the middle of the desert, you have the Nile and the Nile is giving water, right? Yeah. Uh, and he goes back again to say why it is the water of the river Nile, right? So in the, in the middle of his paragraph, he's taking you to plain water and then he's talking about water of the river Nile, right? Yeah. So how do you see these three people writing, right? Okay. So each of these people, the first paragraph is different, right? So, and now we go to Kalam um, and uh, the power of prayer, right? That was his thing. Where is it? I don't know where to find it. No. 
who are not family members eating with them. Right? So that's something else. He's not really talking about his family in, in many ways. And in many ways he's saying, well, we are a family who are not quite a family because a lot of outsiders come and eat with us. So this kind of a private family that we have today is not there. Right? Yeah. So how do we look at all these people and compare them? Right? Okay. You might like to compare uh, Kalam with Leacock in style. Right? Okay, Hecock is telling you about the bank, right? Yeah, and uh, he's talking about he's talking about very very personal stuff, much more personal than Kalam. When he says I get rattled, he's actually telling you who he is, right? He's actually saying, well, I'm frightened of the bank, right? Yeah, so that's whether it's a persona or not a persona, right? Yeah, it's of course it becomes a persona, uh, uh, and if you think that it's not. Nobody, uh, well, uh, then why would he write it, right? Yeah, and he would give more details which bank and all that, which he's not done, right? So we can assume that this is a kind of a story, right? Yeah, but he's being very personal, right? And if we take it to be really so, right, uh, uh, would it be true, right? We would say that no, it couldn't be true, and that's why this is not a real account of real life. Right? Or maybe it's real life, but in the story it looks as if it's uh, made into a story. Right? Yeah? Okay, so that's one thing that you might like to have. Right? Or he would mention the names of, he says, I don't remember the name of somebody, he's probably made up a name, all that kind of thing. Right? Yeah? So, uh, of course, for the exam, you'd read it carefully enough because that's the kind of question that you'll be asked. But uh, what's important is when you're talking about comparing uh, the style, of uh, Leacock and Kalam, these are the, out of all the four essays, these are the, uh, the two styles which come, the opening paragraphs, their styles come very close together, but they're different also, right? Because he doesn't tell you about the family, he's talking about an event in a public space, there's a bank, right? And Kalam is talking about something that's happening in his family and in his house, and he's talking about very, very personal kind of relationships with his mother and his father. And he's talking and making uh, statements about how he views them, right? Leacock is, of course, making a statement on how uh, he views a bank, but it's also a very humorous account, right? And that's one of the reasons why uh, it's a critique of the banking system and it goes to other levels, right? Yeah, Kalam is a, uh, a critique of his family, right, and also of the culture of the world, right, yeah, so that's a different kind of thing, from only the first paragraph you can get that, right, yeah, and if you look at uh, C.V. Raman and we look at, uh, who's the other one, R.K. Narayan, right, now R.K. Narayan is actually, C.V. Narayan and R.K. Narayan, uh, uh, Nara, sorry, C.V. Raman and R.K. Narayan are actually giving you or trying to be very scientific about what they're doing, right? Yeah, and R.K. Narayan much more so. Though he's talking about language, the approach is very scientific, right? Yeah, C.V. Raman is trying not to be a scientist and giving you a story, right? And he's talking about a, a scientific stuff, but he's talking about it with references to mythology, He's talking about it with references to geography, 
right, which he touches upon in the later part of his essay, right. But the idea is, look at the styles of these four people, right, just by the first paragraph, right. So what do you find common between them, right, yeah. So this is extreme uh, personal is Leacock, right. He's actually telling you how I feel, right, because I can give you a story and what happens is I don't tell you how I feel, right. But when I say I feel rattled, right, or if I tell you, that I am frightened of rats. I'm actually telling you something about myself, right? Or I'm frightened of cockroaches, right? Yeah. So that's something that's personal because you're actually telling you, telling somebody about your emotions, right? And most of us don't do that, especially in essays and to the public, right? Yep. Yeah, so we don't do that, right? But that's what Leacock is doing, right? And he can do that because it's a persona which is talking. Right? Yeah, he's talking as if this is how I feel, okay, this is how I felt, this is how I feel, all those kind of things, right? Kalam is being actually personal, right? And he's actually giving you his views on his father and his mother and how they lived, right? The first paragraph is giving you enough about the life of his parents, who they are, uh, uh, which class of society, what religion, uh, how do they behave, all those kind of things are given in one book, right? Yeah? What is his feeling to them, right? Yeah, when he calls her uh, the ideal helpmate and all those kind of things, maybe you'll say that, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and he's giving you the names of his father and mother. So look at Leacock, Leacock's essay, right? And look at his essay, right? Look at R.K. Narayan's essay. How many names has he given you, right? Yeah, and look at uh, uh, C.V. Raman's essay, right? Yeah, so C.V. Raman's essay is talking about geology. He's talking about water, he's talking about Egypt, he's talking about Libya, right? Yeah, and he's talking about Indian mythology, if you like, right? Yeah, so the idea of elixir and Amrita is mythological because he's talking about living forever, etc. Right? So we have all these different styles of four different writers and that's when we actually study prose, right? Yeah, and I wish my our exams would be like that, right? Yeah, so you can actually look at a paragraph of different and this is how you respond to a text not a summary right yeah if you're given two text and you're uh, supposed to talk about it you have to analyze what is going on right yeah so that's the kind of uh, test that we are having now right you have to analyze and say well this is what is happening here and we can't put anything imaginary this is the text on the page right I can actually find out that here Kalam has talked about his father and his mother. He's both named them, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I can actually find that. I can actually find that Leacock hasn't done anything like that, right? And he's not naming anything. And he, he's still talking very personally. He's talking about emotion, right? Yeah. So that's something important, right? So you can actually say that, well, uh, uh, this man called APJ Abdul Kalam, right, is a person who is actually talking about ideas, okay. He's trying to situate his father and mother, uh, maybe if he, he's not comfortable with it, maybe he's comfortable with it, that's a judgment that you can make, right, yeah, but he might be not comfortable about talking about them, right, and that's why he says they're middle class people, right, that's why they, he says they're not educated too much, right, that's why he says they don't have much wealth but he also says that they give a lot of 
the house is open to uh, people to come and eat with them, right? Which is talking about a cultural kind of tendency of uh, whether it's all over India or it's only in some parts of India or it's in some families, right? Do you open your house to everybody, right? Or is it all the families who are Muslim actually do this, right? Yeah, so all these questions come up, right? So we're actually talking about four different introductions of four different essays. Do you get that? Yeah, so this is the kind of work we're supposed to do, right? Yeah, and we use, we're talking about the, the language, right? Uh, one of the approaches you can use is take the four paragraphs, talk about the language, right? How many difficult words do you find in them, right? Yeah, now the idea of toasted English seems to be a knockout word, right? We don't know what it means, right? What does toasted English mean, right? And it's not a word or not an understanding that we have, right? But he's talking about an American way of life, right? And he's talking about a certain kind of toasting of muffins and he's using that idea and he's linking it up with the process in which language operates and changes, right? And he, he gives you this idea uh, that he's talking about uh, it's not only uh, the other many countries have thrown out the British. That's what he actually says, right? Yeah, but only some of them have retained the language. Some of them might have not retained the language, right? I, I don't know how many have not retained the language and how many have, right? Yeah, but maybe there are some which have not retained the language, right? But he's talking about all the countries which have retained the language, right? And of course, the language is not the same as the British tongue, but it is actually gone through a process, right? And that process he calls toasting, right? So that is something that he explains and that's what you do when you write in a very scientific manner, right? So he's actually trying to be scientific, right? Yeah, so he's actually talking about being scientific in his kind of thinking about the language, right? And of course, at the end of the essay, you have uh, Narayan talking about uh, Bharati English, Swadeshi English. We don't have a name for it, right? Okay, if you say English, the Tamil will say, no, this is not the kind of English that I speak, right? Yeah, when you talk about railway English, uh, railway English is quite different from English, right? Yeah, so you have all that kind of thing that's happening, right? And actually what is, what R.K. Narayan is doing is, he's talking about a phenomenon that he experiences, right? Like uh, Kalam, uh, like uh, C.V. Raman, right? C.V. Raman is actually talking about a phenomenon that he experiences when he stands on the border of Egypt and Libya, right? Yeah, and you have the desert and you have uh, the cultivation, right? Yeah, and he's actually seeing that, right? And uh, R.K. Narayan is also doing the same. He's looking at the language and he's saying, well, this is toasted English, right? Yeah, and it's toasted English because it's undergone a change. Right? So you have these two, right? And then you have a leacock, which is, uh, he's actually talking about. The first paragraph is only repeating the word, I get rattled, I get rattled, I get rattled, I get rattled. Right? Yeah? And everything rattles me. And he's giving you uh, the description of the bank. Right? Yeah? So that's specifically 
over there, right? So you can look at the language and that's some business in prose. We have to look at the language. Actually, for all literature, we have to look at the language and we have to read the text, right? So all of you might have a problem except the, uh, the people are doing uh, some language, right? Yeah, because we can't talk about literature without talking about language, right? We can't do that at all. And the tradition is that we read the text again and again and again, right? So you might have a problem with me because as I said yesterday and I said before, right? You please read your text at least 10 times because it's a small little text, including Hazlitt's letter, right? Yeah, because that's the only way you come to understand the text, right? Yeah, and I, I can give you a lecture and we can go on talking about little portions of the text if time permits or, okay, and we look at it and think about it, right? But the amount of thinking that you do, right, when you go through the text, that's the only thing that's going to teach you anything, right? Because we have to get insight into how people write, okay, how the language works, how people write, yeah, and what we have done today is probably more important than all the other stuff that we've done because we have taken only four paragraphs of different writers and these are first paragraphs. That's what you call an introduction, right? So when you talk about C.V. Raman, he's talking about a huge kind of chunk of the whole world, right? When we're talking about Leacock, he's talking about this is my experience, right? He's talking about I and the bank, right? When we talk about Kalam, He's talking about his family, right? He's talking about the location and he's talking about his childhood. Okay, all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, then who else we have? Yeah, we have R.K. Narayan, right? And he's talking about uh, toasted English, right? So we have a different people talking. The first paragraph gives you a different kind of introduction to each of their essays, right? And that's something important, okay? And, and that's why, please do not do summaries, right? Because the summary means nobody is a human being and nobody is an individual. That's what the bad thing about a summary is, right? Where everybody thinks that you can talk in, say, this is a chair, right? Yeah, as if there no, a chair might be different. This is a chair, that's a table, this is a stool, right? The chair is next to the, uh, is, uh, next to the table, right? Yeah, and the stool is just next to the chair. Now, that is what you call denotative. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah, and connotative is when, uh, well, you say, he's sitting on the chair, right? Which is not a real chair, right? You talk about a politician. Yeah, I'm frightened. Okay, I'm frightened of him because he's sitting on the chair, right? Yeah, and then you say, well, what's there to get frightened about somebody sitting on the chair, right? And then you come to know, well, that's not a straight kind of comment, but it's talking about a political position, right? Or a, 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 a kind of a position of power, right? Yeah, so that is something that is important, right? And when you're looking at an essay, how do the first paragraph begin, right? You have a kind of shock value, right? That uh, C.V. Raman is giving you when he, he goes through all this description and says, well, but the elixir of life is something that everybody knows, plain water. And then you say, well, why did you have to do all this roundabout business and talk about Amruta 
and talk about elixir of life and he's talking about plain water, right? But that's how he styles it so that people pay attention to what he's saying, right? Yeah, how does Leacock make people pay attention, right? By using the word, I go to bank, I get rattled, I get rattled, I get rattled, everything rattles, right? Yeah, the rattle, 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 right? Count the words times he used rattle, right? And then you find how interesting and how he's trying to draw your attention to what he's going to say, right? The first paragraph is drawing your attention to what he's going to say, right? And when you have uh, R.K. Narayan, he's talking about muffins. It looks as if he's going to talk about food. And he is talking about food, right? Yeah. And he's talking about toasted English. And he's talking about the Americans and toasted English. And you might think that, well, he could go on and talk about other American dishes. Right? Yeah. So he can actually go on talking about the Americans make cake in a different manner. Right? Yeah. And all those kind of things. And he can go on talking about American food habits. Right? But then at the end of his first paragraph, he's taking you and showing you how you have a... Uh, the idea of the toasted English, right? Yeah, uh, which is the toasted muffins actually, or the uh, uh, muffins which are made in a different way, right? And uh, we are talking about the English language, right? Yeah, and how the English language is processed, or in a process of time, we are talking about the English language changing. And of course, I think we all are perceptive enough to know that you can toast a piece of bread, but Toasting a language takes a long time, right? Like for instance, uh, somebody asked me yesterday about Urdu, right? I wonder why. Hello. Hello. But which, which, where, who? Hello. Hello. No, I'm busy in a lecture. I'll call you back. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fine. So, uh, when we're talking about uh, the idea of toasting, right? When you toast a piece of bread, okay, we know that it takes a few minutes or a few seconds, right? It can also get, uh, it can also get burnt if you don't take enough of care, right? So, you begin to wonder, well, is language really uh, toasted or is it a burnt out case, right? Burnt out case is the the, uh, the title of a novel by Graham Greene, right? Yeah. So, your, your toast can become burnt, right? So, you have to put it on a slow fire and, it's, and then only you can get toast, right? So, the slowness of that toasting, you might like to think about, and you're talking about the language, right? And the language gets toasted over a long period of time, right? Yeah, it's not as uh, in your wildest imagination, you don't toast uh, a piece of bread for maybe for more than an hour. If you actually expand it, maybe one day you might take to toast a piece of bread. I don't think that will happen, right? A very, very slow fire. Maybe if you were a scout, or you have a campfire, you might put something in, right? Like we used to bake, uh, have this uh, kind of baked potatoes, right? We used to put uh, wet mud around the potato and throw it into the campfire, and the campfire used to go off 
but it was still warm in the morning, right? And by morning, you would get your potato nicely baked inside in the hot round earth, right? A wet earth, which of course would be, be burnt and dry, etc. Right? Yeah? So, do you take some years to toast a piece of bread? Not normally. Right? Yeah? So, these are things that you might like to compare when we are talking about this idea of a toasted English. Right? Yeah? So, the question is, what is he doing? He's making you think about language. And he's talking about a process. Right? And he's talking about different processes of human beings. He's not saying something like, uh, C.V. Raman, humankind, right? But he's actually taking you there and he's talking about not only English and American, right? Okay, though he becomes nationalist and he talks about his uh, Swatantra English and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, but uh, so that's not even his language, but that's what he's doing because that's the, he's talking about independence and he's talking about India, right? But what is interesting and what is important is he's talking about the process of toasting. And he's talking about this is a kind of change, right? Yeah. And the idea of heat is again a factor of toasting, right? So what heat was used to toast uh, the language as what heat was used to toast uh, a muffin, right? Yeah. And the idea is we're talking, uh, if you compare C.V. Raman and him, right? C.V. Raman is talking about geology, right? And geology is talking about how do you get an igneous rock, how do you get uh, a sedimentary rock, okay, or how do you get uh, one of these rocks uh, that are formed like a marble and time and karandam and all these things. They form, uh, yeah, uh, you get some uh, basic igneous rocks and what are, the, what are the other ones? I'm sorry, I forgot my geology, right? Yeah, so you get a long process of going on. Right? Yeah? And maybe uh, it might, you might find some similarity over there when you're comparing these two essays. Right? You're talking about the process of toasting and you're talking about the processes of which uh, the earth moves. Right? And you, talk, you can also talk about how water is toasted in the earth and it comes out as a spring. You can use, okay? So you can look at all these kind of comparisons. Right? Because we're talking about processes. Right? Yeah. So one way is we are talking about water and the process in the water. Right? Yeah. The other is we are talking about uh, language and the process of language. Right? And with that, we also get into things about nationalism, culture, all those kind of things. Right? So you can, if you are going on to that kind of a trip, you can talk about the cultural elements in Arkanarayan. And the cultural elements in uh, uh, Abdul Kalam, right? Yeah, and you can also talk about the cultural elements in uh, Sivaraman, right? And you can also talk about the cultural elements in Leacock, right? So when you talk about all these four essays, how do you look at culture and the culture that comes up over there, right? So you get a different kind of range when you read them across, right? We are reading essays from top down, first paragraph, second paragraph, third paragraph, but if I take only the first paragraphs of all these four essays and we see how they begin, right? Yeah, so then we actually learn to see how the people have an individual standpoint, right? And that's why I get very, very pissed off or very, very angry, right? 
when uh, everybody 